Hamilton. Never cashed in the briefcase. Nico Rosberg is leaving through this hometown crowd with a WWE Championship. I think he just kissed the WWE goodbye. It's a red, white, and blue return. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 69 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. And your humble leader, Mr. Andre Harrison, is back with you this week. I know you guys missed me very much as you guys listened to the 145-minute thriller that was episode 68. Shout out to Lewis and, and RJ who filled in brilliantly on my behalf. I'm very grateful for that. But uh, yeah, uh, the king is here. The king has returned. Well, and me here as well, which is kind of, it's kind of helpful too. Um, yes, with, yes. Yeah, as, with me as always is Mr. Ryan King, who is um, not quite as chirpy as last uh. week. It's it's it's, it's been an emotional week, man. <laughs> it's a roller coaster ride, roller coaster ride. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of those things. Oh boy, that would be that would be interesting. And in the blue corner, as always, suffering from a throat infection, yet he's still here, Mr. Adam Johnson. Hello, sir. I'm here on your wishes, and to be honest, King had very emotional moments for his boy two weeks ago. As you're hearing, keeping it 101, I found out how he felt this past weekend. More on that in about five minutes' time, but um, yep, very much so. It's been it's been a very very emo- honestly like King is emotionally crippled. Johnson has preached the point of orgasm, and I'm just here stressed out of my eyeballs, having to write and do video blogs and everything over the last week. I'm exhausted, but here we are. Motorsport 101, everyone. Jazz hands. The world's most enthusiastic motorsporting podcast, everybody. As we look, the F1 season's over. We should be happy now <laughs> we're cynical enough during the season yeah, oh like, but it, it ended so well and then it it, it things happened things happened things happened things, <laughs> things happened man you don't understand who replaced ryan king with elizabeth worth out here like, things, oh just things happened that's all <laughs> He was like peak Lizzie. Anyway, um, just, just, let's get let's get the um, housekeeping underway real quick. Places you can find us as always. We are on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We are on YouTube.com forward slash 101 in case you haven't... Motorsport 101, I should say, sorry. And uh, yeah, in case you haven't seen the news, I've got back into video blogging again. May the good Lord help hey. us all. Yes. It's like the Dre TV returns. And I'm kind of happy about that. I used to like watching Dre TV. Yeah, like honestly, like... It's, it was just a spontaneous thing that came up into my mind when Rosberg won the world title. I was like, well, I'm not on the po- I know I'm not going to be on the podcast last week. So I thought, let me at least submit something to the show in the meantime, because we've we've struggled lately to find podcast segments that are appropriate length for YouTube. So we thought, sort it. If something spontaneous comes up, why not just have Dre video blog it instead? Next thing you know, I get two up in four days for a plethora of reasons. So um, thanks to everybody that's been watching and sending feedback on that. Apparently you guys really like them, so I'll be doing them more often. Um, so, you know. But please be as vocal as because, like, Dre is the worst person in the world for thinking his own stuff sucks. <laughs> so please counteract this by commenting and saying his stuff's really good. I know we can joke about egos around here, <coughs> but honestly... Dre's always like, oh, I'm not sure about my writing and I'm not sure about my vlogs. And I'm like, motherfucker, they're brilliant. Shut up. Seriously. (laughs) 
<laughs> See what I mean? Shut up, you kiss me. You, you stop kissing my ass, you bastard. Uh, but yeah, apparently. All right, steady on. I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. We're friends, man. <laughs> Very friendly, clearly. Um, but yeah, listen, you can follow us there. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. And of course, you can follow our, our Twitters personally. Um, we are at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, and AJ underscore Bomber Sports. And of course, if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Motorsport101. This is going to be a relatively short episode. I say this reluctantly because the last time I said this, we did a show that was two hours and 25 minutes long. In the meantime, this is probably going to be a relatively short episode because when it comes to actual motorsport related stuff, they're really wasn't that much going on except for one kind of big thing a certain world yeah that thing a certain world champion may or may not have hung up his gloves more kings are sitting over there like well except for that one massive thing yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's just sort of rocking back and forth in his chair like yeah I very, yeah, I very, that thing. I very professionally knocked out my headphones and my hard drive for a second there, and I was able, <laughs> I was able to style it out and make it look good. But um, yeah, that wasn't pretty. In the meantime, let's get to keeping it one hundred and one. week's keeping it 101 you've got a lot to talk about where that's concerned and i know johnson's about to literally explode if i don't give him his peace but uh yes johnson chief boy is a champion yes yes (laughs) yes yes basically i'm gonna start the segment off by saying king i now know how you felt in the closing laps in abu dhabi because Basically, for those who don't know, I have my boys in motorsport. Uh, the OSW review rules. Uh, we all do. We all have our boys. Of course, Nico mm-hmm. Rosberg recently became a man. What you may not know is, of course, <coughs> I've said before about my boys in Formula One, Sergio Perez and Nico Hulkenberg. Previously, hashtag RIP team boys. Um, uh, in IndyCar, it was, you know, the likes of Hinchcliffe, maybe Connor Daly, just in alliance with Danny Brennan and Lizzie Worth. Uh, but mainly Joseph Newgarden, who is, of course, going to the dark side uh, for next year. But Chief Boy, probably my favourite racing driver in the entire world, Shane Van Gisbergen. No lie to you at all. This is a guy who I just... He's got a fantastic personality and a great... He's a proper, like, throwback driver in that he'll race literally anything on any given weekend. This is a guy who runs VA Supercars one weekend, GT racing in Europe the next, RC racing the next, and then drifting the next weekend after that. Fun fact, I was once doing an RC racing broadcast in Telford, and he commented and complimented my commentary skills on the stream, and I actually had to tweet to check it was him, not just some random guy on the YouTube chat that was called him. That was a bit of a fanboy moment right there. So really, really, one of my top boys... Now, this year, he's actually done kind of a Joseph Newgarden and gone to the dominant team in V8 Supercars, which is Triple Eight Racing, Red Bull. Uh, home of one Jamie Winkup, the most successful driver in V8 Supercars history, and also a massive arse. I mean, some people like him, but yeah, no, he's I, I kind of don't. So, basically, what hap- what's been happening is Van Gisbergen, the past few years, has been excellent in whatever team he's been at. Kind of been the underdog team, won the Bathurst 12 out, and then got moved to the big team this year 
And what did he do in his first season? He beat the most successful driver in V8 Supercars history to his first championship. Ooh, I was a bit happy about this, but the story... The thing is with the story, the reason why I say particularly I know how King felt, is on Saturday morning, of course, the, the final rounds were in Sydney at the Olympic Park, uh, on the streets, you know, like a street circuit of the Olympic Park. I thought it was a great track, by the way. Um, what effectively happened is, there was of the two races... As long as Van Gisbergen finished fifth in the first one, he'd be champion no matter what Winkup did. So predictably, Jamie Winkup shoots off into the lead and dominates like he does. Van Gisbergen has a shit start, goes from second to sixth at the first corner, gets punted through a chicane, and then, in desperation, turns Mark Winterbottom around and gets a drive-through penalty. And of course, I'm all watching this, and I kind of had it half-spoiled. I saw someone on Twitter say, congrats to shit, and I was like, ah! I hadn't seen the race yet, so I, I kind of had in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, so I think Gisbergen does it. But given that after 25 out of 74 laps, he was 22nd out of 25 cars, I was literally tweeting, how the fuck does he... Like, and there were people on Twitter, Australians on Twitter, people who were at the race. Uh, if you've ever seen on Twitter, there's a few accounts that are like, Twitter accounts of some of the cars from the V8 supercars. Like, there's one that's it's Craig Lowndes' car in right. Twitter form, which is quite interesting. <laughs> I think it's a member. Of, it's one of the staff on the team. I don't know who it is. It's someone in the team, um, and they and a few others were tweeting me like laughing their bollocks off because they knew exactly what happened. And I'm sitting there going, "Wait, people are trying to claim that Van Gisbergen does this? I, I don't believe them." I do not believe them. And it got until 20 laps to go. Van Gisberg is still completely out of sequence. He's still down in like 15th or so, miles away. Winkup's still leading. I'm like, well, okay, it's going to tomorrow. And the gap's closed right down. And then a safety car comes out with 20 laps to go. And then someone on Van Gisberg's pit crew reveals that they have a brand new set of slick tires. So Van Gisberg is well known as a hard charger. He's the wild child of V8 supercars. So that's kind of what he does. He goes from 10th with 20 laps to go to the fifth place he needs to secure the championship with six laps to go, just charging through the field. But no, just for good measure, he decides to have a, an outrageous battle with Garth Tanner and Scott McLaughlin for the podium spot, and he gets it even though he had no fucking reason to do it. He was running fifth. That would have been enough for the championship. But no, he nearly crashes about five times. He gives me about 12 heart attacks, and he gets on the podium. And he wins the final race on Sunday, and he does spectacular burnouts. And I did actually have a little bit of a tear in my eye when he won the championship. No lie. You softy. It was a good weekend. I don't care. Tell me, tell me with a straight face you didn't get emotional when Sebastian Vettel won his titles. I didn't, but you know, you know what's amazing? Like, I genuinely didn't get that emotional. The one I got that got me emotionally was Malaysia 2015. The first Ferrari win, because, like, 2014 was such a shit festive season. It came after such a down year, yeah. It came after such a down year. Like, 2010 was more, like, shock, and I wasn't that invested in Seb at the time. But by the time I got to 20... Like, 2012 was emotional, because that was a special one, because of how close it went and and the nature of it. 2013, you know, it was it was over by, by race 13, so it was hard to get emotionally invested in that one and so much. But... The one that got me was Malaysia 2015 and that first Ferrari win because, you know, the nature of such a shit season that had come before it. So I, I can't mock. I bawled my eyes out on the stream in front of King, who was in the Skype call at the time. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah, I got pretty. But like I say, I, I, Van Gisbergen is probably my favourite from a pure fan perspective. Van Gisbergen is my favourite driver in the world. So I was so happy to see him win it out, especially against Jamie Wincup, who is literally. He's like Audi in sports car racing. It's like everyone does a load of racing for a season in Australia, and then Jamie Winkup wins. Yes. So the fact that he beat him in a straight fight in his first season at AAA, that's a bit... Spe- that is pretty fucking special. That's like someone... That's like whoever takes over from the person we're going to talk about pretty soon next year... Whoever goes to Mercedes next year beating Hamilton for the championship in his first season. That's kind of to put it into context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Like, yeah, yeah, but then, then we would hear over like the call Chris Cook saying, you all you all look stupid now for doubting Botas. Yeah, word. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll cover that one later. But um, yeah, so congratulations to you, boy, Johnson. That was a spectacular way to, way to close it out. I think... I think he literally just was shoveling himself in nervous excrement by the time that second race was over. Um, I saw the tweets. It was edgy, to say the least, and not in the controversial sense. Uh, uh, Yeah, that was was one that was um, all sorts of crazy. Uh, no, I definitely knew how King felt after Abu Dhabi. That was, that was seriously tense. I, I can like, like, obviously because I wasn't on last week's show. I can't relate to this. But King, how was it when he crossed the line there? Because you must have been shitting yourself on that last oh. lap. <laughs> last last couple of laps, definitely. Like, I think last five or three laps, I was sweating. I was like, this can oh go God. wrong real quick. And like, put it this way. Put it this way. I'm not a Rosberg fan hugely, but I become invested in him. And I, I didn't realise how much I wanted him to win the championship <laughs> until watching the final race. I was literally fist pumping when he passed Verstappen. I was like, yes! And then when in those final few laps, my heart was almost racing out of my chest. And when he comes across the line, I'm generally like shouting at the TV like, yes! And I'm like, wait, all right, Rosberg's an unofficial boy now. <laughs> For me, they're like, hang on, if I'm this pumped up, how the fuck's King dealing with this? Yeah. <laughs> I was more relieved than anything else. I think it was yeah. more like, thank God it's finally over and that he's champion, thank God. Yeah, yeah. Me, I, I was thinking that until about three laps ago until I thought, come on, Sebastian! <laughs> wow. <laughs> King just like, wow, the betrayal. Uh, I was like, get that W! <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, to be fair, had he also passed Hamilton, it would have been fine. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, th- th- all you had to fear was a Verstappen dive bomb. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> uh, like you, you, you need to. That's, rub- like the, that's like being put in the same room as a uh, like hungry alligator. Me like, don't worry, it probably won't eat you. Yeah, like you need to remember that Rosberg needed to finish the race. Like that was like goal number one, and that's why his pass of Verstappen was so good. Yeah, it was a yeah, stunning was- pass. I was worried yeah. that he would he would try to go for the win and that Lewis would be like, whoops, because like if both of them DNF, Lewis is Lewis loses the championship as well. But like if Lewis somehow finishes the race and Rosberg doesn't, Lewis yeah. loses the championship. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can I can imagine that seemed crazy. Um, right, <laughs> to me, it's over to me on this one. And yeah, like we didn't talk about the Grand Tour so much last week. But uh, we're going to play catch up for the next few minutes and talk about episodes two and three. And like, King, I'm going to cut to the chase. Episode two sucked. Uh, I wouldn't wouldn't say sucked. I'd say it felt so much like episode one. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's it's it's. 
Oh, look, I didn't like that. I didn't like the chase sequence. Like there was there was there was one really really good episode. Like there was one really funny joke in that chase sequence major like dominant segment for the episode and that was when Hammond is on the plane wing he pulls out the knife and he goes let's dance and I, I must admit I, <laughs> yeah. I, that I died laughing at but besides that it like I just thought like, this is just so contrived and not really all that entertaining and it's just ugh, I didn't like it but the, the Aston Martin Vulcan stuff was pretty cool like I will say um, yeah. it's just a shame that like Top, <laughs> Top Gear's Chris Harris did that better when he was in Abu Dhabi during his series which didn't exactly help either but like episode three was this past week. I mean, King, what did you make of episode three? Ooh, three. I I like the concept. I love the concept of they they like at first I I had it in the back of my mind when they announced the name of the show. It's like did they name it after like the actual like grand tours of old? And then they revealed like yes, yes, and they, they did. We're gonna and they were gonna do one of the traditional you know British tours of Italy, and that's where it kind of felt like. The concept was great. The execution was so just meh. It it was very old Top Gear in that sense, and like like Hammond coming there in a seven hundred horsepower Dodge Challenger Hellcat, <laughs> and with with a convoy of trucks with tires on it, so he could do burnouts everywhere, and like basically the joke was it was Hammond's more modern take on an old school Grand Tour, and. Of course, being Hammond, basically being the fact he's 98% American, he, of course he brought a 700-horsepower Dodge Challenger along with him, uh, which is just the most Richard Hammond thing you could possibly imagine. And, I, I mean, I haven't seen any of the new... I'm kind of waiting to marathon them at once, but I'm assuming that therefore meant we got the predictable jokes about muscle cars and American cars and American stuff and the stereotypes. Yeah, no wonder people are saying this is stale. Yeah, it's like, oh, the Grand Tour is about, you know, luxury... And you know, uh, I think uh, learning what, new things. May, May was in a uh, Rolls Royce and the new Rolls Royce Dawn. Yep. And what was uh, Clarkson in? He was in the oh, new Clarkson. Aston Martin DB11. The Aston Martin DB11. So it's like we they paid so much for these cars that ride so smoothly and the interior is so quiet, yet they can hear nothing but Hammond's Dodge Charge, like Dodge Challenger. Yeah, whenever there was a tunnel, Hammond would floor it. Just, just for shiggles, just so he, that's that's the whole point of that car. Yeah. To be fair, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is, it is, just to be as loud and as obnoxious as possible. But the, 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 they drove them around Magello, which was quite cool. The um, you know, they had, which again would be really cool if they hadn't done it on the Perfect Road Trip DVD, which has already happened before. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember that. But what did they go around in, in that day? It was, it was a, I can't it was it was a like, BMW M4 and a couple of other cars, if I remember correctly. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but it was like, it's like, it's like it, oh, it would have been cool if they hadn't done this whole Perfect Road Trip kind of Italian theme before. So, like, I was already going into it thinking, well, they've sort of already done this. Uh, do you know, that's, when I saw the trailer and there was that bit where I was like, oh, do you think they they have heard we're coming you know they're pulling up in that square yeah was, that was my first thought i was like is that a rejected scene from the perfect road trip dvd i wonder yeah exactly yeah. and like honestly my favorite part of the third episode was the studio segment because they were not in italy 
They were not in Italy, and they're, they're in Whitby for what it's worth. Whitby in um, up, up in the north, <laughs> in Yorkshire, uh, up, in, up in Yorkshire. Um, you know, fish and chips and scraps and all of that because because you know it's Yorkshire. I'm not going to do a Yorkshire accent because it. I don't want to offend your ears and make them start bleeding. Um, but you're not going to do a Yorkshire accent. No, that's crap. That was more than human. See, we we at Motorsport One want to apologise for Johnson's insubordination. Um, don't say one I of us had to swing and a miss, and I never thought I could see simon peg be more hilarious by saying absolutely nothing yeah like, like i'm trying like I, I can't get behind celebrity death like celebrity brain punch like uh, that segment's gotta go it's not yeah. funny anymore I, I thought it was gonna be just a one-off just like having mike skinner on i thought that was just gonna be a one-off but they've fallen into like let's just do this every week no. Is it one of those things where it's almost like a joke where it's like, uh, or a meme or, or something or other, where it's like, tell it once. Ha, ah, that was really funny. They're parodying that thing over there. Yeah. And we're going to tell it again. No, I, I thought you were only going to say, we're telling it again. No, it wasn't. It was only funny the first time. We're telling yeah. it again. Shut up. Yeah. yeah. And it's so long and drawn out. Yeah. It's like the, the first time around, it was funny because it, it was legit. I mean, I think it was Jeremy Renner the first time around and then... Arnie Hammer and it was Carol Vorderman in the first episode. I was like, okay, I get it. You like you did okay. I see what you did there. Quite funny inside joke there. <laughs> is it is is it what I would call the Family Guy chicken fight situation? Yes, 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 absolutely. That that was funny the first time, and then it goes on for almost half the episode. And you're like, okay, you can stop now, and then it starts up again in another episode. And you're like, oh fuck's sake! Now you know what's going to happen for like for the next like. <laughs> 15 minutes. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, go, go put a cup of tea on, because yeah, nothing's going to happen they, they, for 10 minutes. They're going to be like this for a while. And that, like week two, it was Gwyneth Paltrow being attacked by a fake lion. And this week, it was Simon Pegg getting knocked off a bridge. And it's just... Ugh, At like, least it was short. That's, it, that's, yeah. that's the only reason I found it funny, because it wasn't long and drawn out. It was short this time. But then they, Do you know what? And, and King, it's funny you say that, because um, have any of you guys heard of the Naked Gun films? Yes. 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 They were from the guys who did Airplane. Really funny. Some of my favorite films of all time. Do any of you guys know about the TV show that preceded it called Police Squad? No. E- no, no. Uh, it was basically, it starred Leslie Nielsen and most of the people. It's where the Naked Gun films came from. It started out as a TV show. And an ongoing joke they had on the TV show, which was in the opening credits, it'd be like, starring Leslie Nielsen, da 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 and a celebrity guest who would die immediately as soon as they introduced him in the credits and you wouldn't see him in the episode. But that was a quick joke. Like, literally, the punchline was, and he is, um, I'm trying to think who was in one of the, like, uh, let's, for argument's sake, say, um, fucking give me a famous actor. Charlie Sheen? <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. And guest starring Charlie Sheen, and he gets shot and then fall down and be like, oh, okay, and then you wouldn't see him in the episode. Like, it sounds like it could be funny if it was that, Yeah, but it just seems to be so drawn out. Like I say, it's like the Family Guy chicken fight. It just goes on way too long. Yes. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it seems like, to me, the overall, I mean, because because. The Simon Peck segment was short, but then they had like friggin' five minutes of clocks and pretending like he made a self-driving car. But it turned out there was a Romanian inside of it. Oh, and, uh, that was and it was bo- that was like so close to being offensive. It's like it's like oh god, it's like are you really gonna make immigration jokes right now? Like I like it. It just seems like now's not the time or the place for immigration jokes coming out of this yeah, country. Like, like it was it was so hilarious up to the point where he said. 
and he's Romanian. And I'm like, why? Oh, why? Why? Like, oh, you were doing so well. It's like, why did he have to be Romanian? Like, he could have just been some random guy from Yorkshire, and it would have been fine. Could have been Simon Pegg. It would have been really funny. Oh, yeah, that's brilliant. There we go. We should write the scripts for Grand Tour. Yeah, exactly. But you know, it's like. It's it's not like the show is bad, and I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination. The show is still a very entertaining hour compared to what's normally on TV. But the problem is, is that I did because I read what Jalopnik wrote about the Grand Tour episode one, and I was like, okay, it looks like they're hating a little bit here. I was like, for what it's worth, they're trying to be the edgy. Well, we were the ones who didn't like it. Yeah, you know, not that really. Sort of thing. But the more I go back to that original post and the more I've watched the Grand Tour now for the first three episodes, they're making really solid points where they're saying, well, the Grand Tour could have been the chance for Clarkson, Hammond and May to branch out to do things a bit differently. You know, use this platform as one to try and, you know, improve and take, you know, not not forget what Top Gear did for them, but to take what they already had and make it better and make it more refined. And instead, it just seems like it seems like a repackaged Top Gear, and that was the one thing I was hoping it wasn't going to be. It's like Top Gear 2.0. Exactly. And, like, I was so excited about uh, the Grand Tour and, and then moving away because we all, like, put it this way, the last few seasons of Top Gear with them on wasn't as must-watch telly as it used to be. No. Like, I still enjoyed it. It was still fun, but it didn't... Like, for me, the peak of old new Top Gear, as we call it, was about from season six to eight round to about 13 to 15. That was in the era where they really hit their stride. They were doing all these epic challenges, the big one-off road trips. Like, I still remember the excitement the first time they did an entire episode, which was a road trip. It was the America special, and it was still one of my favourite Top Gear episodes ever because it genuinely felt exciting like the whole segment where they're in Alabama literally getting shot at by rednecks that was genuinely exciting television you're like holy shit this has gone like the script's out of the window and this is like you have no fucking idea it had that sort of shit I better tune in next week sort of thing to it you know what I mean and then it started to sort of go into a it's and what was happening was clearly a we're running out of things we can do we're running out of things we're not restricted by the BBC to do and we're trying to play up to things that worked before. And then we're becoming slightly more and more contrived. Absolutely. Like they were trying, and and, and it, it just felt more and more like, oh, no, the wheel's fallen off. How unfortunate. We're a bit shit at this. And you're like, no, that doesn't wash anymore. Like, yeah. You've been doing crap car challenges for so long. You can't do it for that long and then not get half decent at it. The whole, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Hammer, hit something. Oh, it's exploded. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, it just started to feel really contrived. So I think what people were hoping with the Grand Tour was that, okay, away from the BBC, restrictions away from everything else with a huge budget they'd be able to go right here's top gear new age here's new age top gear where it's it's still got some of the stuff you liked about the old one but we're really going back to our roots and sort of really creating something that's a bit edgy but not i hate the, the edgy just sounds like you're trying to be a prick now yeah um but you know what i mean like there's two words edgy and there's like funny exciting edgy do you know what i mean I, like, one the way i, I put it is like, one thing i do have to mention about episode three to to, to dre when they act when they demolished clarkson's house that was clarkson's actual house it was that was like, not a, yeah it was not a prop house that was his real house but that's the thing like the news had already gotten out of the clots and yeah. got on planning permission to build a new house on his old spot so again the joke was, was kind of already lost with me because it was like well oh 
I, I like how much do you want to bet they're going to make a joke out of this on the grand tour and it's like well yeah episode one there it is they're going to knock down clocks into house and two episodes it's a bit like, like in a it's a bit did. like in a it's a bit like in a TV show or a soap show when you hear news that a certain actor's left and you're like, well, I wonder when they're going to get killed off. Like, yeah, I, I, think, I think we're going to make this another pro re- wrestling reference like for the hundredth time, but we oh, usually never. get this. You usually get this in pro wrestling where news leaks that you know a personality has happened. You can kind of from that picture where the story's going to go. Yep. Yeah, it's almost like oh, so and so's contract hasn't been renewed. Well, they're going to drop the title next week. Yeah, it's it's like it's like predicting James Ellsworth's going to turn heel or something. Something and like you, you would never have seen that coming. But uh, but I think a co- like I think they've recorded all the episodes except the season finale. And from what I've heard, they're going to be three make or break episodes. Really? Episodes episode six, the Christmas special, which is coming out on the twenty third, not twenty fifth. Okay, it's that's the Christmas special is going to be in Finland. They're going to be in Finland for that episode. Yeah, Lapland. I heard. Yeah. So to uh, me, that that brings flashbacks to that time they did the Top Gear Winter Olympics episode. Do you remember that? Yeah, yes. that was very good. Episode seven, they're actually having a special episode where they don't have a studio tent, where it's going to be the Nambia special. It's the only episode of the season that's titled as a special. Okay. So I'm so again I'm picturing Zimbabwe again. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. The um, yeah. The the, the the desert special. Yeah, the desert special. And the season finale, episode 12. The only episode that's yet to be filmed, that will be filmed in Dubai. Oh, wow. Uh, I think um, other noteworthy places they're going to, eight, they're going to Stuttgart in Germany, which is basically the home of the German auto industry. Uh, let's hope that doesn't get offensive. Episode nine, they're gonna. <laughs> they're, yeah, good luck with that. Episode nine, they're going to Nashville, Tennessee. Uh oh. Oh joy. R J O'Connell's hometown. <laughs> yeah, they recorded it uh, the twenty first. Yeah, can I just say, the twenty first of November, so two weeks ago in Nashville. Yeah, I remember James May tweeted about it. Can I just say as well, and I referenced this earlier. One thing I did get one because uh, you know the joke started to wear thin on old Top Gear, and one joke that I that really started to wear thin was, oh, "We don't like America. They're dumb. They're stupid." Blah blah. Like, I think it was the film critic Mark Hermode who, who put it really well. America bashing at this point is just kind of lazy. Uh, I like, think I think they gotten over the point that they're not going to America bash anymore after what happened during the first episode. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think, like, uh, that's one trope I would like to see him because, like, we all knew, like, do you remember on Top Gear where Hammond did the whole NASCAR segment? We all knew what was going to happen. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Like, Hammond would like it and then he'd just get bashed about it. Who are the rednecks? They're dumb, blah, 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 blah. Whenever, like, Hammond, like, oh, there's a new Ford Mustang. Do you remember? This is one that really annoyed me. And, yeah, it's because I like American cars, so what? But, like, do you remember the road, the race they did? And this is one of the later series races, which particularly felt a bit contrived. Clarkson was in the Shelby Mustang, and the other two were on trains and were going to the Champions League final or something. Yes. And I swear to God, it barely was funny because Hammond and May were just ahead the whole time, and Clarkson was just like, well, I mean, it's got 690 horsepower and it's only 60,000 pid, but I mean, this is a bit plasticky. Uh, I mean, you would you wouldn't get this in a BMW M5 for 150k. I'm just like, for fuck's sake, at least make some jokes. Like, you clearly don't like the car. It was almost as if it was like, yeah, we're going to do this road trip that I'm not really feeling anyway. And you're going to do it in an American car. Oh, for fuck's sake. You know, it's just like, 
yeah, we get it. You don't like them. Do it in a fucking BMW M3. You know what I mean? Like, it just got to the point where it just wasn't funny. Yeah. Like, I don't even think it would have been funny for people who laughed at the jokes anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like I said, I, I talked about... I've talked about the grand tour to my brother and I talked about it and Jalopnik's talked about it a lot and the last line of their review for episode three and talking about the series in general struck a chord with me. It's like, I'm going to keep watching the grand tour, but it doesn't mean I'm going to care. And that, that's sad because like we built ourselves into a tizzy over this. And I think the fact that the, the first <laughs> series of post them Top Gear sucking so hard, I think, but but in a weird way, that series of Top Gear sucked, but we all saw the potential for it to get better, and we're all a little bit like, well, okay, the next one will be better. Meantime, though, we got the Grand Tour, which is just going to shit all over it, and it kind of hasn't. The, no. the problem is, like, in a vacuum, it's not a bad show, but mm. Clarkson, May, and Hammond, they themselves have set the bar so high, and the fact that they have unlimited resources, yeah. that it... The fact that it isn't spectacular is enough for it to be bad. It's it's yeah. The, yeah. the way it's the way it kind of seems to me is it's almost like a classic rock band playing under a new name, but you all know it's them and you're all excited about it. But like, it's almost to me like I'm the big, like Queen of my favorite band of all time, and it almost reminds me a bit of. I mean, this may be a bit harsh because some people don't like this album at all. I do, but the album that Queen did with Paul Rogers. Mm-hmm. Like, you expect amazing things because it's Queen and it's Paul Rogers, the vocalist of Free and Bad Company, another two of the greatest rock bands ever. And the album wasn't bad, but it wasn't as incredible as it, you'd think it would be. But then what could have been? You know what I mean? Like, if you've built it up that much, how great could it would it have had to have been to satisfy the expectations? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's, that's what you mean. It's like... It's like the Rolling Stones in their 86th retirement tour at this point. It's like, you, <laughs> you know what's coming? They're playing the same <laughs> tunes. It's, at this point, you just want to go to Mick Jagger. Why haven't you retired yet? And it's like, they're still <laughs> just all trying to play the same tune. But hey, again, we'll see if the, we'll see how the series holds. Honestly, we'll keep reviewing it week to week and see yeah. how we go. But right now, it feels like Mercedes Formula One team has finished second in the Constructors' Championship to Williams right now. I'm thinking, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> yeah, just like, they, they hit on the points that I did like from the second and third episodes. Uh, I did like that they had uh, uh, Johan Ackerman on the show with his uh, yes. hand-built sovereign Mercedes C9. That was Where insane. <laughs> How does that guy still have a wife? <laughs> yeah. Where he built an entire like late 80s uh, like Le Mans prototype. Group based- C sports car. Yes, Group C sports car based off of like a 1 to 64 scale model. <laughs> like, that's wow. all he had to go off of. He based it off a Hot Wheels car, effectively. Yes. yes. Yeah, and he, wow. and he just he just multiplied all the measurements by 64, and somehow he got there. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. <laughs> yes, and uh, when James May went to the Tueto, uh, Soweto Townships to, to see, you know, spinning, which is basically um, a bunch of, you know, people who live in the township get, like, you know old scrap heap cars and take them to a parking lot and just spin donuts. Yeah, it's, it's, that sounds like fun. It's the first, and they, <laughs> yeah, and they set it to rap music. Of course. All of James May's favorite things. <laughs> it sounded like, sounds like Dartford High Street on a Friday night. It, it, it pretty much was Dartford High Street on a Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you have a lot more black folks around around town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair point. <laughs> like, the, the Grand Tour does have high points, but it's like they come far, like, 
like far like they're far too rare just dictate they'll hit the mark at some point you know what i mean they're they're far too rare but when they do hit they're great but they leave far too soon yeah pretty much that's i can't argue with any of that really so again we're gonna keep up with how it is i mean king did you did you have a did you have a um keeping it one-on-one for this week or didn't Uh, you were you gonna pick it back off for me uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it brief because sure. this is the way he probably would have liked it. Uh, uh, two weeks ago, uh, Aki Hinta passed away. Uh, he's more famously known as uh, I think he eventually he was a doctor in McLaren. He eventually became their chief medical officer, and while he was there, he he essentially retooled the way. Like I think we talked about off air about how Michael Schumacher like completely. Uh, changed the way how driver training was taking like changing in the sport absolutely about how drivers had to be at like a different physical level uh hint of probably popularized popularizes to a massive degree where he he still had you know a kind of private doctorship over formula one drivers but he started his own company and i think he eventually like the company works with multiple f1 teams at the same time that's how highly regarded he is wow that yeah. they that they don't that they didn't care that it was a conflict of interest he was that good this, this, and he worked with i think he has basically 11 drivers championships to his name because he was the doctor of um, Mika Hakkinen in you know the late 90s uh, Kimi Reagan in the mid 90s while also being at McLaren so he was Lewis Hamilton's doctor uh, he was he stayed on with Lewis when he went to Mercedes and also was Nico Rosberg's doctor at the same time so yeah 11 world titles and he tragically passed away this year at the age of 58 after a long battle with cancer it's 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 a it's an incredibly sad irony that somebody that dedicated so much of their life to you know making sure other drivers of, are of great well-being dies at not even sixty due to cancer. Yeah, but like I'm, even like I should also mention before <laughs> F one he he was basically a missionary medic where he spent like a lot of time in the late eighties in Ethiopia helping you know the underprivileged people there. Unbelievable! Um, what an incredible doctor! What an incredible man! And. Um, I'm sure you may have seen Lewis Hamilton dedicate his race helmet and the win in Abu Dhabi to to to, to his memory, and uh, he was at the the funeral for him yesterday instead of being at the Autosport Awards, which um, drew apparently got a lot of people upset. I never saw it. I never saw people criticizing Hamilton for not being there, but um, he had a damn good reason. So um, yeah. yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll leave that we'll leave that one there. But uh, rest in. It pre- sounds to me in a, in a way like um, like the whole thing of. You know when people claim that certain people are offended by something? Yeah. You know, it's like... like <laughs> I, I think um, it, it felt like it was more of people being proactively defensive over him not being there last year. Yeah, even though there wasn't that many people who were actually annoyed that he wasn't at the Autosport show. It kind of reminds me a little bit of a, a, a joke thing I saw on Twitter this week um, where someone was, you know, and you always get them, someone was getting on their high horse about people getting offended by Christmas. Have you ever met people who are offended by Christmas? Even people who don't celebrate it? No. Like, I never have, but apparently these people exist and apparently these people get all ragey and incest and foaming at the mouth. They're probably dead 
Daily Mail reader, and he was all like, "Ah, you know, if you if you personally offended by Christmas, I'll drive you to the airport personally." So in the next half an hour, he gets about 50 tweets from people saying, "Hi, I'm personally offended by Christmas. Could you drop me at Gatwick Airport at 9 a.m. on Wednesday, 12th of December? If you could also pick me up on Boxing Day, that'd be really nice. Thank you. Really offended by Christmas. Just want to prioritize that." And I was like, "Such British humor. I love it." Yeah, that 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 absolutely happened. I saw that. That was ridiculous. Again, I don't think anybody really complained about Hamilton not being there. I know it happened. It happened last year when um, I think because it was so public about he was on Letterman or something, wasn't he? He was on. He was doing his American media tour. He was on sixty minutes. He was on um, James Corden's show, the Late Late Show. And um, when, when instead of being in the United Kingdom for BBC Sports Personality of the Year last year, an award he didn't even friggin' win. He finished fourth that year, and yeah, he wasn't there. And a bunch of people got really mad at him, like the Fleet Street Fox, for example, said, "Oh." Come back and pay your taxes, Lewis. And, you know, people saying that, you know, Rory McIlroy should have won, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people were mad about that. And he didn't show up. And I think it was some dude in Carlton. And I just snapped and I said, listen, yeah. does Lewis Hamilton owe you money? Like, yeah. and, and I mean, it was it was a good, like, thing to do to, number one, promote the sport in the U.S. Number two, like, he's worked with James Corden before. Like, I think James Corden, like, interviewed him for, like, a Mercedes video that he put up on his YouTube channel. Yep. Like before he even got his late night show here in the US yep so again it made perfect sense again non-factor I don't know why anybody would think it would be and I just don't get the level of entitlement that some Formula 1 fans have over whether drivers show up to a a pokey award ceremony or not PS screw autosport Um, (laughs) (laughs) hey autosport never complains yeah to be fair they don't you know, it's just, it's just, you know, it just means Steve Ryder's got to pad out for more time. That's all. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah let's let's get into the meat and potatoes of, of of this week's podcast as we talk about Nico Rosberg again. Only this time, it's this time it's not quite so positive. Yay! Well, I mean, sort of. it's sort of uh, it's, it's 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 positive, but not positive in the way you would think it would be. Cue musical interlude. I'm going to assume that last week was a happy place. It was a happy place. Nico Rosberg wins world title. Happy place. Smiling faces. All of that good stuff. You know, yep. Rosberg's going on his little media tour. It's all it's all well and good. It looks it sounds amazing. Then Friday rocks up, and just five days, three hours before we drop the pissing episode. Yeah, like literally, like it was about. I remember leaving for work. I I go to work at two in the afternoon on a Friday. And it was it was my house. I left my house at one in the afternoon. I was on my phone to check the news. And about ten past one in the afternoon, it's like, wait, Nico Rosberg announces his retirement from Formula One. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, literally, I saw the first few tweets. People were like, well, has Nico Rosberg retired? And I'm like, what? And then I saw a tweet from BBC Sport that was like, Nico Rosberg just announced retirement. And I was like, yeah. someone's hacked them. Like, no, what no, the fuck? And then was- everyone else started tweeting it. I'm like... It was oh. it was literally the first retirement I've ever seen like announced via Twitter, where he just he just posted a video on his Twitter account announcing his retirement, and I'm and like, it was like an iPhone yeah. note as well, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh. it was just it was just the most surreal thing. Like I was literally on the way to work. I I read the news. I half skim read my Twitter timeline. Then my brother calls me. 
And he just says, have you heard the news? And I'm like, what, is it true Rosberg's retiring? And he was like, yes. And I'm like, what? I, I, I literally shouted out, what the fuck, in the middle of my bus to work. And people gave me people gave me a bunch of weird looks. Like, it, it, it was insane. It was like, The reaction was thermonuclear. It was DEFCON 4. It was just it, one of the craziest, like, hot pocket F1 stories that wasn't on track that I think I've ever seen in the four or five years I've been covering F1 on Twitter properly, so to speak, as this pseudo-journalist. But it it was ridiculous. And, well, where do we even start on something like this? I mean... It's, it's 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 an incredible story, and it's 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 one of those it's one of those very rare but genuine shock stories. And like I, I would say, it's more than very rare in WWE's phrasing. It's once in a lifetime, not like in the fake. Oh, once in a lifetime, maybe this will happen again. No, this is like once ever. No world champion has ever like of their own force of will just retired yeah like alan prost well hasn't i was gonna yeah. say alan prost did but it, he was out of contract yeah he was out of contract rossberg had had re-signed for two more years earlier this season yeah like just 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 three months ago in july he had re-signed a brand new deal it's of a two-year extension and at the end of the season he retires i mean let me read the notes out for those that haven't heard it already um, just to give some extra context here, and, and I quote, <clears throat> Since 25 years in racing, it has been my dream, my one thing to become Formula One world champion. Through the hard work, the pain, the sacrifices, this has been my target, and now I've made it. I have climbed my mountain, I am on the peak, so this feels right. My strongest emotion right now is deep gratitude to everybody who supported me to make that dream happen. This season, I tell you, it was so damn tough. I pushed like crazy in every area after the disappointments of the last two years. They fueled my motivation to levels I had never experienced before. And of course, that had an impact on the ones I love too. It was a whole family effort of sacrifice, putting everything behind our target. I cannot find enough words to thank my wife, Vivian. She has been incredible. She understood that this year was the big one, our opportunity to do it, and created the space for me to get full recovery between every race, looking after our daughter each night, taking over when things got tough, and putting our championship first. When I won the race in Suzuka, the Japanese Grand Prix, from the moment when the destiny of my title was in my own hands, brackets, little drain over here, that was when he put himself 33 points clear with 28 on the table, realistically, between first and second. Um, The big pressure started, and I began to think about ending my career if I became world champion. On Sunday morning in Abu Dhabi, I knew it could be my last race, and that feeling cleared my head before the start. I wanted to enjoy every part of the experience, knowing it might be the last time, and then the lights went out, and I had the most intense 55 laps of my life. I took my decision on Monday morning, sorry, Monday evening, I should say. After reflecting for a day, the first people I told were Vivian and Jorg, Nolte from Nico's management team, followed by Toto. The only thing that makes this decision in any way difficult for me is because I am putting my racing family into a tough situation. But Toto understood. He knew straight away that I was completely convinced and that reassured me. My proudest achievement in racing will always be to have won the World Championship with this incredible team of people the Silver Arrows. Now I'm here to in- just here to enjoy the moment. This is time to savor the next weeks, to reflect on the season, and to enjoy every experience that comes my way. After that, I will turn the next corner in my life and see what it has in store for me. Nico Rosberg, ladies and gentlemen. Um, 
and the greatest ever face turn ever. <laughs> Not that he wasn't a baby face anyway. But, uh, but like, can I just say to start this thing off, I actually have a fucking huge amount of respect for Rosberg out of that. It's, yeah. It is beautiful. I think it's fantastic. What a way to get, There's no better way. For me, it kind of reminds me of Joe Calzaghe, yeah. a heavyweight boxer who retired undefeated. Like, and he made a big deal about it. I remember Ronda Rousey really wanted to retire undefeated as well, but Joe Calzaghe did it. And like, he, he has been tempted into maybe fighting again for years now, but he's stuck to his guns. He hasn't come out of retirement. He's stayed with that winning record as it is. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was beautiful. I was like, perfect. Like, you could tell this has been a, a tough old seat. We've, you know, Rosberg's had t- so many years. We've t- we've sp- spoken about it before on here, how much he's had to deal with always being in someone else's shadow all the way down the line. Mm-hmm. And this was it. Like, this was the year it finally came together for him. And it, the more you thought about it, the more it just... It was perfect. What a way to go. It's almost like this, this, his career may never be this good again. Who knows? It might be. But what would you rather? Would you rather he kept going because he felt he had to and then it's only downhill from here? Or now he signs off, he walks away having just climbed the mountain and he's the best thing, the, the greatest thing ever. He joins a very short list of people who have retired at the very top like Alan Prost. And what was, I think, most hilarious... And I mean, like... ...was um, just on one more thing. What I think was hilarious is how we'd spent so often, or the media and, and various people on, on Twitter and in the social sphere, the ham capers, had spent so long trying to denigrate it, it caught them off guard. Yeah. It shot And it even they everybody. were like, oh, um... Well, uh, and it took them a good 24 hours before they started to spin the guff about did Lewis Hamilton's pressure was it about Lewis Hamilton but they even spun them out and I'm like don't you dread don't you dare try and turn face you know what I mean don't you dare try and turn oh well, no Rosberg was brilliant we respected him all along they fucking didn't but it caught even them out and I'm like you know what Nico fair fucking play well done like I, I mentioned I, I wrote a blog about like one like I'm not the most like I said, you said it before I'm Captain Modest when it comes to me as a writer but one of my all time favourite things I wrote about Nico Rosberg was the post I called The Shadows of Rosberg and I talked about how he'd basically been in the shadow of somebody else's entire racing career from his dad as a world champion to you know Lewis Hamilton maybe taking his funder the first time around when he joined McLaren in 2007 a year after he did and you know winning the world championship a year later to Michael Schumacher joining Mercedes and taking all the credit essentially for Nico Rosberg who went 3-0 and against Michael Schumacher in their three years together at Mercedes and we all talk about you know Michael Schumacher's magical pole lap at Monaco but nobody ever talked about Nico Rosberg getting that new factory team's first win in China earlier that season and, and yep. absolutely destroying the field in order to do it. He won that race by 20 seconds. It was an incredible first win from Nico Rosberg. In what, the third or fourth best car in the, the field? The fifth at the time? best car in the field. It was like that, that season, Mercedes was the fifth best car in the field and Rosberg won a Grand Prix for it. Well, yeah, you had Red Bull, Ferrari, Lo- M- McLaren, maybe Lotus. Yeah, like, like that was a legitimate midfield car that Rosberg won that Grand Prix in. It was an incredible achievement and he, he finished ahead of the two McLarens that day. And, nobody talks about that but they talk about you know they talk about Michael Schumacher's you know pole position that day but um, we, that, that doesn't get talked about obviously there's a, there's a level of emotional investment with Michael Schumacher that comes with just being Michael Schumacher but at the same time 
Rosberg never really got the full credit for that, for his great time at Mercedes before Hamilton showed up. And then when Hamilton showed up in the hybrid era, Hamilton goes and wins two more titles. And we the Rosberg turns from, you know, really, really solid driver that we don't give enough credit to, to whipping boy to make Lewis Hamilton look as good as possible at every given opportunity. And that made me very sad. He's almost like those people that they put against Hulk Hogan in the 80s in the Hulkamania era just to hype up Hogan more. And it's almost like... You know, it doesn't give credit to the people who he was up against. You know what I mean? But they would just keep feeding Hogan opponents. Yeah, absolutely. Just because uh, he had to have someone to feud against. And it was like, like I say, it it really struck me that there was a quote before Abu Dhabi. It may have been Pablo Elizalde who who said, like, why is there such a feeling of dread? And, oh, can we just get this over with going into a really closely contested season for Dali? And I was like, and you're surprised by this after you've denigrated one of the title rivals so much that it almost feels meaningless that they're going into a championship showdown like either way it's not going to come well either Hamilton wins proclaiming what you've said about him all season being amazing or Rosberg wins and it was a fluke Great, great way to denigrate and not make the victory feel satisfying either way. You yeah, know what I mean? The, the Formula Formula One's media definitely backed themselves into a corner on this one. They were almost all in on the Lewis Hamilton shock title win. Because like last week, I, I split the review into the actual race and the narrative. Yes. And it, it made perfect sense because that's exactly what it was. The race and the narrative were two completely separate beings, essentially, by the time the, whole, the, the dust had settled because, you know... The, the media had gone all in on Lewis Hamilton and that had been the moment his engine blew in Malaysia. I mean, look at Andrew Benson. He wrote for a fucking column talking about how did Brosberg deserve the title less than six hours after he'd actually won the damn thing and a day later doubling down on that by talking about how Rosberg will never be on Lewis Hamilton's level. I had people that are fans of this show tweet me saying, oh, well, he's never going to be on the Ellen show like Lewis is. And I'm like, way to miss the fucking point. Like, this is not about how popular Nico Rosberg is. This isn't about how, you know, how unlucky or lucky Lewis may have been. This was Nico Rosberg's moment. He owned it, and he made it his moment. And I... You're going to have to accept that he owned it. Don't try and... Stop trying to bring it back to Lewis. For once, it wasn't about him. He tried to make it about him, but that says more about him than it does Nico. He tried This was Rosberg's moment. Yeah, exactly. He tried and failed. This was Nico Rosberg's moment, and I can't. And people, I've had people messing me saying, you know, "Oh, Rosberg's a coward. He's not the true champion. Oh, a true champion defends his title." No, yeah, they, I saw that. Or qu- people were t- yeah, like, that was a "Oh, into the from- barrier was tweeting about it, wasn't he?" Scott was was yeah. saying, "Like, oh, do you think he's? It's because he knows he can't beat Hamilton again." Like, because motherfucker, how do you know? Yeah. No, because- and it, ironically, what I love now is the fact that next year, I don't know if this will play on Hamilton's mind at all. He claims he doesn't care who his t- next teammate Liar. is. That's bullshit, by the but way. The thing That's is, absolute bullshit. But, but the thing but, is, no, no. Let me let me let me finish quick. I love the fact that it's almost like Rosberg's won, but Hamilton's not going to get his win back against him now. Yeah. It's like, oh. Oh, well, we won't know. But any- <laughs> Rosberg won't be able to beat him again. Well, we won't the fun- know. The funny thing is, is that if any smart Hamilton fan would tell you he's 2-1 and one against Rosberg in his hybrid era anyway, so why should that even be a factor? Anyway, King, you wanted to say something? <laughs> yeah, this fact that, that this narrative that Rosberg is not coming back to de- defend his title, that was, a, that was a narrative started by Lewis himself, where he told Autosport, it, quote, it's a shame that he's not around to, to fight to take it back. That's his choice, and I respect his decision. You can go out while you're on top. I have a different viewpoint. I won the championship the past few years, and I gave an opportunity each year to have another shot at it for someone and 
No. End quote. And that's just like, what? <laughs> Nobody buys that for a goddamn second, Lewis. No one is out there thinking, oh, how kind of Lewis to come back in next year so somebody else can try and beat him for the championship. Again, no. very Hulk Hogan-esque. No, that's not, that's not how <laughs> like, anything works. Like, Lewis, you won your first championship in your second season. You were gonna, you were never going to ever retire in 2008 or 2014. No, and somebody, yeah. somebody dumbly asked Sebastian Vettel, "Would you have retired after your first title?" Guys, he was 23 years old in 2010. <laughs> he was the youngest world champion ever. He was the youngest world champion ever by about 100 days. And he said, and Vettel said himself, "Listen, I was 20. I was what 24, 25. I was 23 back then. So there's no way on earth that I was going to retire that early." And like, we, it's easy to forget. Rosberg had the second longest run be- between debuting in F1 to getting his first championship. Like he fucking climbed the mountain time years. and again and got knocked back down time and again. 11 years exactly. Like he has scaled that peak way too many fucking times. The most, I don't yeah, blame the most all. Grand Prix ever before winning their first world title, two hundred and six. Um, that like he's in the two hundred club. That's a pretty exclusive club for Formula One drivers, isn't it? People want to like marginalize like Rosberg's a new thing. He's been around since two thousand and six. This is a yeah. this is his eleventh full season in Formula One. He's in the, he's had over two hundred Grand Prix in that time. He's no spring chicken anymore, and it's easy to forget that he became came a dad this year and he got married the year before he's got more important things in his life than most and you can tell family means a hell of a lot to him yeah i mean he read it in the statement apparently you could hear about how much his wife had to sacrifice for rosberg to win this championship this year but being basically for what it's worth a single mum for the most part because yeah, of how like, much yeah. she was he was, he was like, on the road let's be honest here <laughs> and let's be honest what's lewis hamilton gonna know about that <laughs> He's Nothing. not being funny. No, he's you know he's he's living the, a completely different he's life. He's too busy butchering his own words, saying no, it's the first time he's won something in eighteen years. And like, ba- I think earlier this week, Rosberg said that he he actually at the start last off season he he bought a go kart and went to the go kart track he grew up at at all year. He was pounding out laps on that go kart because they don't test that much in Formula One like they used to his words where he was like that's how he got his practice in he was just pounding out laps on a go-kart he kind of reminds me a bit of a statement that Mar- uh, Andre you'll know this um, uh, that Mark Selby made after he won the UK snooker championship this week tremendous game by the way um, or this po- yeah awesome game and he funnily enough he beat basically snooker's version of Lewis Hamilton in Ronnie O'Sullivan um, the whole natural talent thing Mark Selby said something very interesting after he said he's motivated to shut the critics up and he said you know I know that it doesn't come as naturally to me as it does for guys like O'Sullivan I know I've got to put in the hard graft but I'm motivated to do exactly that because I know if I do that I can beat these people and I can shut the critics up who say that you know what chance do I have against natural talent what, do you know what I mean what, it's this happened, weird yeah. this Sorry, so, yeah, so yeah, okay, exactly. what, like, yeah, what happened is that Mark Selby became the first man in 15 years to hold the world and UK championships at the same time. The last person to do that, ironically, was Ronnie O'Sullivan back in 2001. So, naturally, again, like, Zara Daniela put this better than I ever could, and you might, not, you might know her as Zara Zahid on Twitter. She does a lot of the artwork for the podcast, so shout out to her. She's, yeah. she's a real good friend and, you know, tremendous person. 
that sometimes smart is sexy. We don't all want our heroes to be flashy. Not everyone wants to wants their heroes to be a Lewis Hamilton, a Ronnie O'Sullivan, a Paul Pogba, or someone that's deliberately flashy and, a sh- and, and being a showman. And it's it's kind of fitting because like we like the hard grafters. Like, and Rosberg is one of Formula One's true hard grafters. He's been doing. He's, he's had to fight for everything he's gotten in his modern F1 career, given he's had to be in the shadow of his dad from the time he stepped into a go-kart for the first time because they recognise his surname. It's, it's, and again, you made, you made a great example in Mark Selby, who's been criticised left and right over the years for being boring, for being an anti-Christ to snooker, when he's also one of the most charismatic and legitimately funny dudes the tour has got. But he, because he played snooker... He's like a new age Mark Williams. Yeah, yeah. I know Mark Williams still plays, but he reminds me... Very, he's very similar, dry, you know, uh, dry humour, yeah. very g- genuine. And you can see the passion is there. He just doesn't need or want to make a song and dance because about it. Because it pissed off Ronnie O'Sullivan that one time because he was playing slowly. That's the reason why it all started. <laughs> yeah. he, he, he's, the, he, the, the Peter Ebden syndrome. The Peter Ebden 2005 syndrome of I'm going to slow roll you off the table and, and you know Ronnie's going to kick up a fuss and because he's ultra popular people are going to accuse Selby of being some dem- destructive figure of the game because he played it's very slowly. very similar to in football. I, th- yeah. I think loads of sport has this. It's very similar bus. in football. You know, oh you, yeah, park the bus. You don't play football the right way. Uh, well, beat us then. You know what I yeah. mean? And Rosberg did exactly that. He beat the world. He 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 won it his way. And it's easy to forget. He won nine Grand Prix this year. Like he's gotten better every single year he's been at Mercedes. 2010, 2011, 2012, he had his first win. 2013, he had two wins. 2014, five. 2015, six. This year he won nine. He he can you know what the thing about Rosberg I applaud the most? is that he didn't really make mistakes. He won the races he could win and waited for the yep. other guys to make their mistakes. And w- King, what did, we, what did we talk about at the start of this season? We've talked about it from the very start of the season. The championship, especially when it's as close as it is, when it's effectively between two yep. guys from the very outset, you win it on your worst days. Yep. What did Ros- Rosberg didn't do that the past few years by his own, you know, either by his own omission or his, you know, unlucky. But hey, I forgot he doesn't have bad luck. Only Hamilton does. Fuck off. Um, but this year, the amount of times that whenever Hamilton had bad luck or made mistakes, because he did do those, mm-hmm. how many times did he cock up his starts? And whose fault is that you can't exactly blame the power unit for that um and rosberg took advantage every single time it's literally hamilton cocks up the start i'm there bang win and if uh you know it like for me the true defining the two defining races for for rosberg season for me were singapore absolutely malaysia for very for very different reasons now singapore was a weekend he dominated start to finish he had hamilton's number on paper in terms of pace and he was leading you know was the fastest driver all weekend but yet near the end Hamilton's bitching about lacking pace so they try and go for an undercut to try and keep him on the podium that accidentally ends up bringing Daniel Ricciardo into play who is chasing down Rosberg at something like four seconds a lap and Rosberg still you know doesn't flinch at all and he wins so he still won even though Mercedes were that close to cocking it all up for him having had a perfect weekend Malaysia complete opposite your boy Sebastian Vettel torpedoes him at the first corner um, um, knocks him straight down the order <laughs> yeah well you know we all make mistakes and then Rosberg has to fight back through the field whilst Hamilton's leading the whole way I mean he almost he's not driving any differently because you know 
It's not like he knew Hamilton's engine was going to blow. He's charging back through the field. Yeah, he's got an OP car, but he still has to do it. He fought back from a huge deficit, and he then puts a brilliant pass on Kimi Raikkonen, which is then awarded a bullshit penalty. Not the first time that's happened this year. Funny how people talk about Lewis Hamilton's mechanical failures. They don't talk about Rosberg's bullshit penalties. See also Germany. But he gets that penalty and he still paces Raikkonen by enough so the penalty doesn't matter. So he had all that thrown at him in one race. Still finishes third. Still maximises the points when Hamilton falls away. So those two races for me were the absolute key ones. You could say Japan as well. Maybe maybe Italy as well. I'm talking about in the stretch towards the title win. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Those were the races that, for me, really helped him take control of the championship. And they were all champion-worthy performances. Yeah, look, but then you're talking to two people here that never questioned Rosberg as a worthy champion. Or no, not. I know, I'm preaching to the converted, yeah. I, I'm aware and, of that. And, like, again, I want to kind of steer this back towards his retirement and, and whatnot. And, I mean, I didn't talk about it too much. I mean, I, I've, I've said a lot of what I've always wanted to say about Rosberg winning the title and Rosberg retiring on YouTube, so you can find my full views on the matter on that um, over there. <laughs> Advertising, go me. Um, but well, I, I will reiterate what, what I said is that like people want to call Rosberg a coward for this decision, and I think you're full of horseshit whenever, if, if, if you think that. And again, you mentioned the point of Into the Barrier mentioning that, and you know what? I get it to a degree because those are people that are our sort of age who don't know any better. We're we're talking about a brand new dad. We're talking about a a newly married man here who all he ever wanted was to win one world title. And like the last one of the closing lines of rush was when Nicky Lauda says, you know, for James, one world title was enough. And we never criticised James for essentially not fulfilling his entire career. And Yeah, James Hunt was never the same after he won the 1976 championship. He retired three years later. Exactly. He, I mean, part of it was seeing friends pass away as well, uh, get killed doing what he did. He kind of lost the fire there as well. But similar sort of thing. He won that first world championship and he didn't have the same fire to go after him anymore. For him, one ended up being enough. Indeed, and, that's, and that is not something... Like, who are we to question another man's motivation to get in a 220-mile-an-hour car that can kill him at any moment? I am am not that guy, and I refuse to be that person to judge someone's strength of character based on whether they don't want to get into a car that could kill him at any moment. Exactly, and And, and two points on that. Firstly, your points we've been made about him becoming a father this year and a married man, he's got that to think about as well. It's like, I've heard stories from, I believe it was Carl Fogarty who talked about this in one of his biographies. He stopped doing the Isle of Man TT race once he got married because for him, he had responsibilities. Before that, had he gone to the TT and died, which, you know, the Isle of Man TT is one of the most dangerous road races in the world, fine. I mean, you know, he'd have had family and friends, but he didn't feel like he had any obligation for anyone else. Do you know what I mean? But as soon as he got married, he pledged that he wouldn't do it again because he would have people to be responsible for and he'd have an obligation. So I I feel like Rosberg maybe has that as well. And at the same time, people calling him... I think you made a great point at the end of your blog post about this. In a way, Rosberg's decision is one of the bravest he could make because look at what he's willingly stepping away from. The best seat effectively in Formula 1 right now as yeah, like, yeah. the defending in, champion in Nikki, spot. In Nikki Lauda's words, easily... Lauda's words, half the grid has called him up trying to get that seat. Exactly. He has stepped away from that because he would rather leave right now and leave on a high than... He would rather effectively burn out than fade away. He would rather do that than coast around 
you know, just filling, killing time. Do you know he what I mean? He stepped away from opportunities to win more titles, and he stepped away from the best car that Formula One has probably ever seen. A car that won 19 out of 21 Grand Prix this year. The most dominant F1 car we've seen since, what, 88 with McLaren? So, like, at least. And in terms of this hybrid era, 51 out of 59 races, this Mercedes has won. He stepped away from that to hang up the gloves when many an athlete would be a family would, would, would come back. And as I said in my in my blog post about it, he, he did he did the guy out of Street Fighter. He told the world he's gonna go home and be a family man. That's not cowardly. For me, that's one of the bravest decisions I've ever seen a driver make. Because we all know racers are hardcore. We all know that they're, they're incredibly determined to win and win well. I mean, like I said, one of his fellow compatriots is a guy that won 91 Grand Prix and seven world titles, retired once, and then came back four years later as a 41-year-old to try and win again. Because he, he backed himself. Because they just, it's like, uh, and for me, this this kind of ties into something where we, we often talk about mental health in sport. The, the reason people don't like to disclose these sort of things is they don't want to show weakness. No. They are convinced they are the best they want to tell themselves they're the best and they want to prove it to the world and you know to be brave enough to say you know what i'd be taking up a seat next year i ain't feeling it i have ticked off the biggest box of my career i'm happy i'm going home to spend time with my family see ya that's incredibly brave because as i say it would have been so easy just for him to see out his contract and you know who knows he may have beaten Hamilton again twice more but the beautiful thing is in a way we'll never know yeah. neither will Hamilton I think, I think that's he can, great he can go home satisfied <laughs> because yeah. like I, I think that's brilliant I, I honestly like to be honest I, I don't know if Rosberg could have done it again like I like I'm on the fence of I'm on the fence of whether he could have won a second title or not and that's a great place to leave off because that that doubt kind of sows the seeds to not only Lewis Hamilton but you know the fans and how great Rosberg was truly wasn't as a driver because the one title club is a great club to be in yeah there's some there's, yeah, it's a there's, very special there's some, to me yeah. it almost reminds me of, a bit of Mika Hakkinen as well versus Michael Schumacher because Schumacher kept winning titles after Hakkinen left the sport didn't he yeah. Yeah. Hakkinen yeah, so, retired he, in 2000 <laughs> yeah and, and Schumacher always admitted that Hakkinen was the one person he always feared yeah, yeah. so there's that lovely sense of there's the one guy who stood up to it it's a bit like going back to wrestling again for a second uh, if Hamilton's the Hulk Hogan in this one Rosberg's gonna go away as the ultimate warrior yeah hopefully without the WCW crap return 10 years later or sure. whatever it was but he was the one guy who did get the clean win yeah over Hamilton and like for those who don't know like let me run down the guys in the one title club obviously sure. we know James Hunt Mm-hmm. We know Nigel Mansell. Yeah, Mansell's in the one title club. Uh, the first, the first champion, Nino Farina. Yes, the seven-time motorcycle world champion, John Surtees, in that club. Mm-hmm. Mario Andretti. Mario Andretti, who could like again, Andretti is one of those guys who could have won more. Like he, won, Mario Andretti won his F1 title in his tenth season in the sport. Oh, how familiar! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What's yeah. number eleven? Damon Hill. Damon Hill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Damon Hill. He had a long KK Rosberg, KK Rosberg, uh, Denny Hellwood. Uh yeah, Mike Hellwood on the bikes. Uh Alan Jones, Jody Schechter, uh Jacques Villeneuve. Yeah, Kimi Raikkonen and Jensen Button. I think that yeah, that closes it out. Some amazing company right there and some figures 
that I think we put on a higher pedestal than their one title necessarily says. Like, again, you mentioned Mario Andretti. I know John Surtees was like, many people will argue that Surtees is the best um, British racing driver of all time because he was so great on a bike as well. And he's a great X factor in that debate because of his success on bikes and where that factors in. Yeah, and then Yak and Rent, who... You know, you could, passed away you know, before he even won. He's the only posthumous world yeah, champion. The, yeah. the only posthumous world yeah. champion, and you got like Jack Villeneuve, who had a great career in America as well as over here in Europe. As, and you know, you've got the Mario one Andretti. And Mario Andretti are going to be mentioned him and uh, Mike Mansell. We put Mansell on a plinth in this country, like we like <laughs> yeah. we. Because we, we put Mansell on the plinth mainly because of how much of a plinth we've put Prost and Senna on. Yeah, yeah. And, Man, um, and the fact that Mansell won his title alongside those yeah, guys. Yeah, Mansell was the other guy in that holy trinity of tremendously talented. I mean, we forget, I think, didn't Mansell win 31 Grand Prix? Yeah, he won 31 Grand Prix. And yeah, he. That's insane. Um, That's insane. And, and Mansell only won his title against Senna. That was. He, 92 was Prost's sabbatical year. That's crazy. <laughs> Did the British press make a big deal of it, though? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I bet they did. <laughs> Debatable, um, to yeah. say the least. But um, for me, personally, I will have an incredible... I will, I've said it on my blog post. Like, And I you know what? I'll actually read out the, the, the penultimate two paragraphs. Go for it, mate. It's a, it's a great post. Yeah, like, if you want to go and read it, the whole thing in detail for yourself, you can go to motorsport101.net, our website, and check the blog section where I'm trying to write on a weekly basis. Uh, I'm trying. We'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, I, have to, I have to be a certain level of motivated to, and I have to have a really good topic in mind. But when I do, I tend to write pretty quickly. But it says, we see it all the time in sport. Guys who hang around just a little bit too long and the book closes on a sour note. Michael Schumacher, yep. George Best, Michael Jordan as a wizard, Chuck Liddell, Tiger Woods. Nico gets to close it out on top. The media, try as they might, will have to make Nico the center of attention. He gets to go out his way, breaking every narrative and every negative story out of the water in a blaze of glory as he lifts his world championship trophy high. Coward, I can't think of a better way to bow out. So a salute to you, Nico Rosberg, an incredible career and a win for all the true grafters out there who had to fight from the ground up on nearly everything he got in F1 and wrote his own story on the way out, and not the one that sells you the most papers or gets you the most clicks. That is that is, <laughs> that, is that is from Nico Rosberg narrative buster on my web on, on our website mostone1.net. Check it out if you haven't read it already. That's that's from yours truly. But um again I can't say any better than that myself I think I think it was an incredibly brave decision and I will always respect someone that goes out on his terms rather than is essentially forced out the door like Alan Prost was inadvertently like like Ayrton Senna was for obvious reasons and elements like that certain, certain people don't get that privilege some people feel like they feel, no. some people feel like some feel like they have to stay around for whatever motivational reasons some just can't rip themselves away yeah. it's like I remember um, like legendary NASCAR driver Darrell Wall trip admitted that his career probably he probably ended up you know the final decade of his career he just wasn't happy with in the end and he was just riding around filling time in the end and like it, it for him when he subbed for steve park in 1998 for a competitive team as opposed to his own mm-hmm. one he had tears in his eyes finishing third yeah but he was just so happy to be competitive again because it had just spent so long but he just kept doing it because he knew no other way and then finally he he retired in 2000 and he he admits the final few years of his driving career he's not proud of, but he finally had an opportunity to move into broadcasting and he he took it and he's he's made a great success of it. But so many people they just don't they just can't tear themselves away. They know only one thing and they just 
in their hearts, they still believe they can always, you know, that it won't happen to them. Do you know what I mean? Like they'll always be great. Indeed, and and that's an incredible, it's an incredible luxury you get to have when you can write your own destiny like that. And yeah, that's and that's amazing. a very cool thing. And Nico's only doing that at age thirty-one, and then people have said, "Oh, what if he goes to the WEC and tries something else?" Like the key no, quote, I don't, I don't think he's gonna race. He's like the, not. the key quote in his in his quote was his racing career, not his F one career. I think he's genuinely done for good. I really do. And you can go home and be a family man. So on behalf of everybody here, Nico, all the best in retirement, my friend. And um, you're you're a truly great ambassador to F one. And you represent for me. You, you represent every hardworking athlete that tries so hard to get there. We haven't all got God given gifts or incredible opportunities that drop on your lap like that. You had to fight for everything and and you got what you wanted and that and you know what you got what you wanted who gives a fuck what anybody else thinks quite frankly <laughs> so <laughs> Nico I salute you sir and um, now we get to talk about somebody interesting the aftermath of this now and who could potentially replace him and uh, let's have a little game here like I have William Hill's special market up here I want you I want you guys to guess the top the top seven names who they think Ooh. could take his seat at Mercedes. There's a uh, there's a there's okay. a top five and there's there's a three way tie for fifth. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm right, gonna try so, to run them all down myself. Let's see. Oh, okay. 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 Alright. Pascal Verline. <laughs> Pascal Verline is the one to two bookies favourite. Okay. Uh yep. Fernando Alonso. Yep, six to one. Yep. Esteban Ocon. Yep, he's one. He's one of the freeway, ten to one. One of the freeway. Okay, who else? Uh, Valtteri Bottas. Yep, three to one. Ooh, so that's four. second yeah, favorite. Fifth one. Oh god. Sebastian Vettel. Yep, Vettel number four at seven to one. There's two other guys in the ten to one tiebreaker. If you, can, I'll see if you can get them. There's, 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 they're going to be a bit more difficult. Jensen Button. Yes, ten to one. And who's the final one? He's ten one? to one as well. Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen. No, he's a bit lower. He's twelves. Is Hulkenberg uh, still up okay. on there? Hulkenberg at tens. Yep. Even though, like, oh, even though it's been confirmed that like, it's not going to be Hulkenberg, but yeah, yeah, that that was already confirmed. That sad like, face. Appara- yeah. <laughs> like, apparently, Mercedes have said to Renault, "Can we buy Hulkenberg's contract out?" And Renault was like, "No." And like once again, Nico Hulkenberg is going <laughs> oh, to miss out on a top tier seat. Oh. I'm going to jump out of a window on Hulkenberg's behalf. How unlucky must you be? Oh. <laughs> My boy, that's oh, that's, <laughs> that's. Can I that's just say though, it's interesting we talk about contracts here, um, because I have a, a little story I want to share. Uh, to, just to say that if people are saying that certain people are locked down my contracts, that's not yeah. necessarily a guarantee that it won't it, that it won't happen. It, it, now, it essentially, when they're locked down in contracts, it doesn't become a free agent negotiation. It becomes more of like a transfer negotiation. Where yeah, what's their buyout pot price? Yeah. Uh, and it's normally very expensive, but it's not unprecedented. Like, I'm a, a huge rugby fan, and this time last year, uh, England were crashing out of their home World Cup. It was an absolute horror show. Um, their worst ever World Cup performance in their home World Cup. It was fucking horrendous to watch. There's like a... Like, the English rugby team is one of the sports teams I've followed, like, the, like longer than even my love of AFC Wimbledon. And the thing I've is, followed. like, the English, the English rugby team, they're actually decent compared to the other World Cup teams. 
Yeah, exactly. And they were, you know, they were like outside favorites maybe to win it and they crashed out. And at the same tournament, you had a guy called Eddie Jones, who has previously coached Australia. He's Australian. He was coaching Japan. He pulled off one of the biggest shots in rugby history when they beat South Africa. Um, that was amazing. And he was basically like the hot, the hot talent of the tournament in terms of coaching. So he was already signed on, I believe, to a two-year deal with the Stormers, who are a South African club. But England, after the World Cup, of course, their coach, Stuart Lancaster, walked away. He said, you know what? I take responsibility. I'm out of here. So the, the RFU said who's a replacement and they also looked at each other and went we got to get eddie jones that guy is like the impressive coach of world rugby right now he's like the, the top the hot he would be the hot free agent except he's just started his contract with the stormers well you know what two weeks later eddie jones is the new coach of english rugby and it's all worked out since then they paid off with the stormers but my point is he had a two-year deal that he was starting he had signed and he was about to start but English rugby wanted him that bad they got him they, they, they were prepared to name that price do you know what I mean so if Mercedes wants someone that bad you know it doesn't look likely to be Hulkenberg I imagine his factory contract with Renault is not cheap at all even for Mercedes but if they really want someone that bad who's under contract I think they could probably the get The only them. people I would rule out is people that are driving for Red Bull because Red yeah, Bull's got more the money. I would say you have to count out any team that's looking to make a title push. Yes. So, Ferrari, so I'd say Ferrari and Red Bull and Renault have the factory money, so probably those are off the table yeah. as well. What about someone at Force India? Force India. Sergio yes. Perez, his name has been batted around. Force India, like Force India is fair game. McLaren Honda. That's the big question on whether Honda would love. Question. That, sorry, before we go to McLaren, people are writing off Esteban Ocon because he's just signed the contract to no, Force India. That means nothing. That means nothing. Yeah, I'm going to say no. I'm, uh, he's not off the table yet for me because Mercedes rank him quite highly, don't exactly. they? Force India are supplied by Mercedes engines. That's why I think people are putting Bottas in the, in the consideration as well because Williams obviously have the deal with Mercedes. I think particularly for me, any team at the moment that are supplied by Mercedes, you've got to look at their drivers real, 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 yeah. because they are part of the Mercedes. Part system. of the reasons Valtteri Bottas is also like managed by Toto Wolf himself. So there's, so yeah, like, yeah, so yeah, Valtteri yeah. knows where his bread is buttered, so to speak. So that's why Bottas yeah. is free to one because, because again, Toto Wolf is actually directly invested in Valtteri Bottas. So again, that like Fairline seems to be like the safe pick, and again, the bookies have reflected that. Yeah. In the fact he's the fact he's odds Even on. Though- I think it's Fairline's in. The, he's in the Mercedes system. Yeah. He's a free agent, so Technically. you know yeah. he seems to be the gimme. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even though Patty Lowe says it's not a foregone conclusion that Pascal Verlein will replace Rosberg, My, like what I feel like is going to happen, it's going to be Botas in the second Mercedes seat. Then they're going to put Verlein in the Williams seat because it's also been. An, it's uh, Sauber have said that. Mercedes has kind of stalled their negotiations on Verline going to the team. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I wonder why. But am I right in thinking that Mercedes are getting a bit kind of cold feet? They don't want, they're not keen on putting Verline straight in the Merc yeah. seat. I don't think he's experienced Well, if enough. they did, they wouldn't have put Ocon in the Force India seat instead of Verline. And Verline's got like 14 races more experience. They clearly are yeah. more invested in Ocon for the they're future. They're clearly more invested in Ocon. It, it seems like. Whoever they snatch is going to get replaced with Verline. So it's it's number one, they pick a driver. Number two, that driver's replaced with Verline. It seems like that's the way they're going. I'm going to have to put some money on Bottas to get that seat. Three to one's a good price. Um, but I mean, no, anyway, <laughs> as, I, as I was saying, like, again, like Verline seems like the relatively safe pick according to the bookies, but Bottas, Bottas seems like a... Like, 
shout out to Miles the Pardonator for tweeting me about this one, but it seems like Bottas on a one-year deal seems to be like the smart, the, seems to be the smart money pick here. Have Bottas for a year and see how the market plays out next year if you want to have another number one driver in your seat, because a lot of people have come out and said, well, you know. We're going to find out a lot about about the, the nature of what Mercedes wants in a team with this decision, whether, whether they want to have another potentially number one driver in their hood, because Rosberg and Hamilton created a lot of drama either way as a partnership, no matter which way you slice it. Mostly from Hamilton's end, yeah, let's, let, be let's, yeah. let, let's be honest here. Hamilton is usually the one who caused the drama, unless, yes. you know... There's going to be a Spanish guy that we're probably going to talk about later on. And like at at McLaren, he couldn't cause that much drama with his teammate because his teammate was Jensen Button. Everyone loves Jensen Button. You cannot exactly. hate Jensen Button. Yep. Yeah. And like criticism rolled off his back. Can I just can I just ask this as well? Um, I think, you know, Hamilton trying to claim he doesn't care who his teammate is. For me, yeah, absolute horse excrement. And the big thing for me, it, it kind of reminds me a bit of the situation that Graham Rahal has over in IndyCar, where his team, obviously owned by his dad, uh, Rahal Lettman-Lanigan, they've said time and again, they'll only run a second car if it benefits the team. Now, for me, I've always read that as if we could... Exactly. I think Rahal would only accept a teammate if it was a a tail gunner, like a Felipe Massa or a Rubens Barrichello. You know what I mean? He would... He would want a defined number two driver. I get the feeling Hamilton will be in a similar boat. But the problem is Mercedes are in such an OP situation. They've almost felt like they have an obligation to cut their drivers loose the last few years. So, like, if they basically sign a definitive number two driver, does that guarantee Hamilton basically runs the table and the other guy finishes second and no one's watching F1 by season end? Like, I mean, their only obligation is to win ultimately, but... Yeah, but I mean, I think to be even honest with you, like in a historical tenses, manufacturers have always felt obligated to provide a good show because, like... Let's go back. If the sport didn't yeah, exist, they wouldn't yeah, have a platform yeah, like, for their cars. Going back to like the '68 season, where um, Ford, Ford and Cosworth, they they originally had an exclusivity contract for the Ford DFV with Colin Chapman and Lotus, but they realized the DFV was going to be so OP that Lotus would run away with the championship that they found a loophole in their exclusivity contract to make it available to everyone. <laughs> Nice. And that became the standard engine of F1 for about the next five years, didn't it? That was an incredible power plant. The next decade. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, and I I think as well, what will be interesting, you know, we've talked time and again about Valentino Rossi on this show, about how, I don't know if you can see where I'm going with this. Basically, we've said before that Valentino Rossi, he's friends with you until you start beating him. So Hamilton's going to be fine with whoever he picks as a teammate until he starts beating him. Yeah. yeah, that's when things are going to start re- getting really let's, interesting. Let's, let's, and real talk, if that man really is Fernando Alonso, who, by the way, Toto Wolff has always said would be the number one replacement if one of their drivers was to depart, he's always said Fernando would be his number one pick. Just a thought. Really, though? Yeah, I, I, he said that publicly like two years ago. He said straight up, 
if one of his drivers was ever to depart, his number one pick for a replacement would be Fernando Alonso. <laughs> even though, even though, like things have sort of changed because, uh, like uh, Doctor Z, the the chairman at at Daimler Benz, he's always said that he would veto any Alonso return because of what happened in two thousand seven. Yeah, that's well, that's the thing. Back in 07, of course, Mercedes were supplying McLaren, yeah. so and, and Fernando Alonso directly sabotaged the team in Hungary that 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 weekend. So yeah, like I don't see the Fernando one as a lot of people do, but no, I think the, that's more in the stat. That's like the Jensen Button but one. But imagine the fireworks. I think it's more a sentimental yeah. one. Oh yeah. So could I just say, let's put our cards down on the table here. What are our predictions? Bottas. Ooh. Yeah. So you're going Bottas, King. Bottas, yeah, on, a wanna... Bottas on a one-year deal. Yeah, I want to. I okay. want to go Botas. Like my probably my cover for that would be Ocon, with the implication of whoever goes to Mercedes, they're getting replaced with um, uh, they're getting replaced with uh, Pascal Verlaine at their previous team. Verlaine, yeah. yeah, I think I. Damn it! I was gonna go for Ocon. <laughs> I, I'm thinking. I'm, th- I'm thinking Botas, and I'm thinking on a one-year deal, and we have this conversation this time next year as to who get Botas, who gets Botas's seat, unless unless Botas wins the world title in which case well that's going to be fun <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that'll be so, hilarious uh, that's that's you know that that could be a, a fun little prediction game for us but um yeah i have i think that is just about that really for this episode this episode of the wait, podcast wait, we, oh. we still have news we still oh. have news oh there's always king. King, king king what news do you want to discuss king um <laughs> next year's calendar uh, oh well actually the calendar for two years from now that's gonna be yeah. yes yeah like we'll, we'll discuss the like the the main calendar briefly i'm not gonna run the whole thing now next because it's only provisional but the big basically there's two main points yeah, to two take main from points. It. number one there's no Le Mans clash anymore. Yes. <laughs> that's a good deal, whether you were fussed about it or not. I kind of was. I know you guys were. I wasn't. But yeah, but that's it's, just it's, a good thing in general. Good. We have something called the internet, Johnson. Like, why is, why is, why is this an issue? <laughs> you have the internet so you can bitch about people watching endurance racing. I get it. Um, that, that's but, one, that's yeah, one of, no, that's that's one of several but the reasons. Other one, the other one is the thing that's coming in in 2018. You're sad that the German Grand Prix is going away. Another classics coming back. The French the Grand, Grand Prix, Prix is de back. France. Yes. Hey. The Grand Prix de France is back. <laughs> All right. The one that should never have gone away, let's be yeah, honest. Although, it's... I think the problem with Manny Coeur back in the day was that not even the teams liked going there because it was in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. If I'm right, it was very hard to get to. Uh, it, it, you know, fans struggled to get there as well. Uh, it's going back to Paul Ricard, though, which I believe, has it been there before? Yeah, Ken? it's been there. It was there throughout the 80s. Yeah, and of course, it's very different now. It's been reprofiled. It, I think it originally became a test track for a while, but now many series of race there. Uh, WEC had their prologue test there for a while. Um, Blancpain have a, an endurance race there. The World Touring Cars have been there. Yeah, it was, it's it very was kind these of... Uh, it was a test track, but it was kind of like the FIA test bed for safe, like any safety improvement you see at any modern Formula One track, it was probably first installed at Paul Ricard. Like, Paul Ricard is state of the art. Like, people yeah. complain about the runoff areas, but the runoff areas, they're designed to destroy your tires. So, it... Well, I like yeah. that. I like the distinctive look as well. Yeah. I think that's cool. The checkered patterns. I mean, the stripe, yeah, the blue yeah. lines. The blue lines. Yeah, the, blue, yeah, the blue lines will damage your tires. The red lines will completely destroy your tires. You'll have to go back to pit lane if you run in that red area. 
Ah, uh, I see, I see. I like that idea. That kind of resolves the issue of, well, we can't have gravel because that'll flip the car, but we can't have tarmac because people will just abuse track limits. Yeah, the only, the only issue I could see with that is, like, how well it'll do to, the, like, the sensitivities of the Pirelli tire. Like, will it just, like, completely destroy the Pirelli tire? <laughs> it needs to blow out. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. Um, like I said... I also think as well, on that point, I think the Paul Ricard track, it's a really nice layout that they could run. I also wonder if they'd use the full length of the Mistral with the, the DRS zone, seeing as they've gone, they've been pushing for longer and longer straights at modern tracks, and now at Baku, they've had those really, really long, like the run out of the final turn, through that chicane bit down the front straight, they're hitting like 230 or something. So I wonder if they'd be tempted to run the entire Mistral straight, which is like, what, one and a half kilometers, one and a half miles? Yikes. Yeah, want it? It's a really yeah. long straight, and that as a DRS zone would be awesome. I think it'll be kind of like a lot of other European circuits. It'll be a dirty air fest, but at this point, most tracks on the calendar are. So I say bring it on. I think it'd be pretty fun. Can't wait. We're looking forward to that. Looking forward to have the French Grand Prix on the back on the calendar. I mean, it's it's yeah, where it should again, be. Really, it's, it's a damn travesty, quite frankly, that we had like eight years without the home of Grand Prix racing on the FIFA because the last French Grand Prix was 2008 as you guys told me on on, um, on stream on Monday um, I appreciate that but um, yeah I mean again I can't wait to have the French Grand Prix back on the calendar even if we're not going back to Germany anymore sad face um, which is a shame oh. One thing, I think we forgot to mention him in the driver's cuss, even though we knew we didn't say he was a viable option but Fernando Alonso <laughs> Mm. Yeah, we, we never mentioned. What do you guys feel about the hype, the the return of Alonso Mania, and whether Alonso should be going to Mercedes or not? Look, all I'm going to say is earlier this year, most of us were saying Alonso should retire. <laughs> now suddenly he's the candidate for the the hottest seat in the it's funny sport. Funny how these things turn out. Give me a break. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I don't see it. I think he's probably unless they're going. Well, I think he's caused too much trouble. He's burned too many bridges there in the past. He's with a different manufacturer now in Honda, uh, and I think feel like he's invested too much over there. Honda are keeping him as the store. Look, Jensen Button is taking a sabbatical, so Stoffel Van Dorn can come yeah. in to partner Alonso. Alonso is the big marquee signing they have for that program and a combination of that and the bridges he's burned at Mercedes previously I don't see it I I don't care really because I've always <laughs> I've always thought Fernando was a wanker um is he again like like he's, he's a driver that we're not talking personally no, here no, I, I think it's a factor because again can you can you trust him in a top tier team after what he did in 2007 yeah where, apparently the Mercedes yeah. board also doesn't so like like yeah, exactly. And that's another reason why there's no way they'd sign Verstappen. Can you imagine Hamilton and Verstappen in the Mercedes? The most I, I explosive love, combo in history. I love the, like, six years away from the press, and one of the first things that K.K. Rosberg mentions to the press is that Max Verstappen needs guidance. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That makes that makes far too much sense. Um, me, personally, again, re okay, real talk here. Um, here's what I'll say. I'll say that it makes perfect sense to bring Alonso in for a year. He's still universally one of the most respected drivers in the paddock. We know his ability. We know he's going to retire probably as a top 12 to 15 driver of all time. Um, that's undisputable. But I have questions over his trust. This He knows this would be the biggest chance of him winning world title number three, what he's been so desperate for for the last decade. And 
I I fear he would do something stupid in order to try and win that title and something egotistical. So let's, let's be real here. Fernando is a man that has had it used to getting everything his own way since 2003. So... And when he didn't in 07, and, and here's the thing, he didn't in 07, look what happened. And you're telling me that Lewis Hamilton isn't a bigger ego now? Yeah. Like, Hamilton's not the rookie yeah. anymore. Hamilton is himself a big ego, so he's not going to back down if Alonso starts and kicking off. like I said, off. do Mercedes really want two number one drivers in their team again, at least for now? We're given that Rosberg and Hamilton, mostly Hamilton, created drama after drama from within that team because he, th- he thought things weren't going his way. Lest, lest we forget that Lewis Hamilton complained about his mechanics on three separate occasions this year, and after Rosberg won said title, said the best man didn't win, and that if all the cars were equal, he would have been world champion. Do you want to put in another big ego with that guy, knowing that that guy is probably your best chance of a title? (laughs) I just just don't want to go there. I wouldn't want to go there. And one final piece of news that would probably make Nico Rosberg smile. Uh, the stewards have gotten together. All the stewards from all Grand Prix this year have gotten together and thought, or uh, kind of thought of ways to make stewarding better for next year. And oh. one of the things they're thinking of implementing, not during the race, it's not going to be like changing outcomes during the race. They're they're thinking about implementing video reviews, where basically uh, every month they all get together and kind of rewatch uh, the the calls they have made of the races of the past month and basically say whether it was the right decision, what they should do next time something like this would occur to ensure that there's more consistency across each of the races. You, you mean they're going to get in touch with the 21st century, use instant replay and actually try to be more consistent next year? Uh, yeah, instant, like, more of like... Not instant yeah, like, replay, like having a tape room, like a tape room meeting every, every month. Well... It's a start. It's it's a it's, it's a something. start. I'll, I'll say that. I, I would yeah, because I I don't want to see instant replay. I don't want to see Total Wolf throwing a red flag from the pit wall. <laughs> <laughs> safety car, safety car. We've got to check this review. Safety, virtual safety well, car. We've got to check we this. We talked earlier about Rosberg's bad luck with penalties. I didn't even mention the most bullshit one, the radio penalty yep. from Silverstone. Yep. <laughs> he got that, and he still won the World Championship. Motherfucker. Yep. <laughs> Don't talk to me about bad luck. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's the best way I could possibly sum it up. Um, I just think that, you know... Oof, what's the best way of me wording this? Um... Yeah, the stewards were shit last year, and <laughs> their their their, their, lack, really their lack of consistency was one of the biggest fucking you know negatives. It was laughable it was, at times, was, especially with Max Verstappen. Yeah, let's yeah. be yeah. honest it was, here. It was laughably pathetic sometimes, and again, like I call it the Verstappen clause at this point for half of the, the shit that Verstappen got away with. And um, yeah, I'm glad that at least they're taking some slow steps in the, in, in regards to trying to fix that. I mean, again, <laughs> again, slow, but it's a start. It's a it's a start as, um, God, Arsenal and Perez have scored a hat-trick. Let me get out of here. This podcast needs to end. Arsenal are actually doing well at something. <laughs> I mean, I think that's, that's about, I think, our cue to wrap this up. Unless you've got, like, 50 more pieces of news, King. Do you? No, nope, no. Nope. I, I said that was the last one. It's the last one. Good, good. Johnson, <laughs> any, any, any other rants about Van Gisberg you want to get off your chest? No? 
No, I think I'm Good. done. I think I'm done. I'm off to celebrate yeah, some more. We're, we're, we're done here, folks. You know where to find us. YouTube.com forward slash motorsport 101. Facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. And our uh, personal accounts are at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at AJ underscore Wombots. Back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101. And check it, all of our shit out on our website at motorsport101.net until next time for our F1 season review mm, next week until then we've been Andre Harrison Ryan King and Adam Johnson and until next time we'll catch you guys next time sayonara bye Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) This is going in the outtakes. Right, right. Graceful as always, Al Johnson.